You are listening to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beej, the advancing journeyman developer. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. No time to say hello, goodbye. I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. We're talking about dates and times again and how they can absolutely ruin your day in programming. This is the second part of a series with the first episode explaining a lot of the ways we use dates and times that you might not have considered. This second episode will get into the details of how dates and times are manipulated by computers. If you haven't already gone through the first episode, you might want to do so before listening to this one, because it will help you understand why things are the way they are. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Uh, Not a whole lot. I have meditated every night uh, since I think last Saturday or Sunday, I forget which, for you know 45 minutes to an hour and a half, somewhere in that range. Last Monday night, I did some stuff, and I turned off the the uh, desktop computer, and I did not turn it back on until Sunday morning, um, which is pretty good, you know, for me especially. Nice. Uh, played a lot of Super Nintendo. Uh, didn't really do much, you know. I'm, I I kind of like I was getting burnt out before I got sick back in August. You know, I, I was I was really just getting overloaded, and then I got sick, and I had a little bit of a break for being sick, and then I you know I had the hernia and then I kept on going and I had the hernia surgery and then I kept on going and it finally caught up with me um, this past week and I just, I didn't have anything left in the tank. And so I just stopped. I have worked a little bit on getting things kind of organized, but I'm not, not doing a whole lot and I don't plan to until the end of the year. Other than that, and other than our brief run up the street to see why the ambulance and the fire trucks and the police department and everybody else was up there, um, I don't really have a whole lot going on. It's kind of nice. Well, speaking of burnout, I'm getting to, I'm beginning to feel that way myself. I've just sort of been having things added to my plate constantly the last few months, and it's starting to take its toll. So I'm starting to, I'm starting to get there too, and going to be needing to take some just downtime pretty soon. I will say this: it finally got cold enough to break out the leather jacket for more than just riding yesterday. Well, that is until I got down to Georgia. I went to help my sister drive up from Florida with her three kids, and I got to meet my niece for the very first time at Starbucks. And somehow, I feel that this is going to be a defining moment in our relationship going forward. (laughs) Um, We've had some changes at work that allow API developers more database access. We're now able to build tables, create views, and even write stored procedures in the development environment. So they're actually treating you like real developers. Yeah. Though everything we do will be reviewed by a DBA before it goes beyond the development environment, like into test or production. Yeah, as it should be. Yeah, but it's it's kind of nice. Had to fight for that. So it's it's been kind of a an uphill battle, but we finally got it, and it is ours to lose at this point. Speaking of databases, though, I've got an interesting one designed for IoT this week.
Harper DB is a single model, fully indexed, schemaless database. The idea behind it is to simplify the database landscape. It can use both ANSI SQL and NoSQL natively and in real time. It's designed for IoT app developers and data scientists. The idea is for it to be a one-stop database for all needs, be they data warehouse, document store, or an app database. The interface is a REST API written in Node.js. HarperDB is built to run via a small executable and be deployed on devices like a Raspberry Pi. It even comes with a lightweight studio for managing the database. There is a free and an enterprise version, so I'll definitely be checking that out. And you can, too, through the link in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we grabbed a few tweets from Josh Hedstrom. Uh, he says, I absolutely love the show and listening through all your old podcasts. Would you do one on advice tips for going into boot camp? I'm going to be starting a web development boot camp that is supposed to be training in full stack. What pitfalls and blind spots are there that I should know about? What topics should I study that typically wouldn't be included? Thanks. So, Josh, first off, congratulations for starting a boot camp. I looked into them when I was learning and even interviewed at a few. We have added that to our backlog, but since neither of us have attended a boot camp, give us a little time to find someone that we can bring on the show to join us for a discussion. In the meantime, you can check out our episode with Aaron from Junior Developer Toolbox about different ways to learn coding. Yeah, I mean... Like I said, we, you know, we kind of pushed you towards the boot camp thing and it didn't really work out. So I guess the big thing is, is not so much that the stuff that's missing because you're going to be going in as a junior dev and people are going to be filling in gaps in your knowledge anyway to really pay a lot of close attention to how things are implemented in the best case when you're in that boot camp as far as like how you work with other people, how you, uh, commit stuff to source control because it's not just about the coding stuff. Like get the stuff that's around it. You'll see people go through those camps sometimes and they think that the only thing they're supposed to learn there is development. I would really caution you to be very careful about that because that's not the only thing you're supposed to learn there. Um, that, that's the main piece of advice I would give you. So Josh, send us a DM with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review on iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Google+. We're also on Path and Tumblr. Check us out each week on Facebook Live, Twitter Live, or Periscope. We'll be adding more as we learn about them and get better at doing live feeds. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. So last week we talked about the history of time or the history of how we perceive time. Um, in addition to the tremendous amount of history around how we deal with times and dates, there are a lot of things you need to understand about how these are handled by computers as these can complicate calculations that are already complicated enough. So just to reiterate, if you haven't gone through the first episode, you might want to do so before listening to this one, uh, because it will help you understand why things are the way they are. You know, the big thing is the last episode was the history of time, really. Yeah, and, and how it's used in industry and everything yeah. else. It, it, not not the Stephen Hawking's history of time, but the... Uh, well, and ours was kind of a short take on it, too. Yeah. It was it was an overview of the history of time, I guess, and how it is used 
in industry. And this is more of a specifics on how time and dates are used in computers. So this week, we'll talk about how computers understand, store, and track time. We'll start with how the computer keeps time, then talk about Coordinated Universal Time, or UTC, because that makes a lot of sense. Ah, you know, maybe it's a timing issue. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they had multiple UTC, threads executing, executing when they came up C-U-T- with that. Uh, I mean, I guess they just didn't want to call it cut. Yeah, <laughs> I get it, you know. <laughs> and we'll, we'll finish with a discussion on how these are implemented. So, starting us off, how the computer keeps time. Basically, a battery-powered clock. Yeah, so your motherboard has a battery. That's your CMOS battery that is used to power this even while the system is off. And nowadays, you don't really run into this problem quite as much. But back in the day, you used to have to replace your CMOS batteries fairly often. Um, Battery technology has moved forward, and computers don't run as long now. People replace them, you know, in a little bit quicker cycle than they did, like in you know 1995 or something. Um, but that battery powers the system clock, you know, even if you've disconnected the machine from the wall, so that you can keep time because it, that's such an important critical function that you can't you can't let that slide. How long do those batteries last? I think they last like four or five years. I mean, they're do they re- least, are they rechargeable? Like, is it like you know. leave it unplugged for four or five years? I don't even know anymore. And how does it reset? There's asking you all sorts of questions yeah. you didn't look up. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that, that stuff gets reset, you know, by network time protocol. We'll get into that um, in a bit. But with, with that battery, it'll stay there for a number of years. I know back in the day, you could count on them going at least like three years. Mm-hmm. But that was old school batteries. And you think about all the lithium ion technology that we have and the way that we have reduced the power requirements for things. And we've also in- improved the battery life. And we may, they also may be chargeable, you know, like rechargeable batteries. I'm not entirely sure. I didn't think to look that up. That said, they are resistant to power loss. And that's, that's kind of the big thing. That's why that's there. Um, you'll notice a lot of really strange issues on your computer as your CMOS battery dies. Just lots of flaky stuff because of all the things that are hung off of that, like the way some of the protocols work. And, you know, that kind of stuff, your system time, like software licenses will suddenly be, oh, yeah, this is wrong because before we recorded this previous date that you said you authorized the software and now it thinks it's the year 2000 again or some screwy thing like that. Like, you'll see Mm. stuff just go haywire when you don't have a good concept of time because we hang so much other stuff off of it. Hmm. Interesting. That actually explains a lot about uh, some of my older computers. Yeah. Once they got to about that five-year range. You mentioned something earlier, Network Time Protocol, or NTP. This is used over packet-switched variable latency networks, and it's basically a way of looking at multiple time sources and trying to derive the local accurate time. So break this down for me here. Packet-switched variable latency. In other words, your network. Right? Okay, like but, but ch- yeah, like it's the internet, right? You're chucking packets back and forth between you and a server. Okay, server. just just like I said, that, yeah. that that doesn't break it down. That like says, oh, your network. I'm like, that doesn't tell me anything. <laughs> yeah. What what do you mean by packet switched? Uh, you're passing packets around. In other mm-hmm. words, like it goes it goes through a switch. It figures out where that's going to get routed. Okay. So it's TCP/IP. Okay. All right. Variable latency. Um, that means that some parts of it are slower than other parts. Okay, so it varies based on how. It's going to vary on how fast these packets move back and forth. 
Right, because I mean, you think about like a a packet going from, let's say, my laptop to the wireless router in here, because we're in a room with that. From my laptop, it's that packet is going to take less time than from yours because it's closer. Yeah, because mine's in the way, and you've got this metal server rack, you know, also in, in the mix there. So that's that kind of thing. And, and basically, what it's going to do is it's going to say, okay, what's the latency between here and this location, and then what's the time. So it okay. keeps it, it's like it keeps a time window and we're going to get into what this actually does, but it, it essentially keeps uh, track of how long it takes to get a ping back. It's, it's more complicated than that, but give or take. And then it says, okay, now what is the time on that box? And what's the time on this other box? And what's the time on this other box? And then it uses statistical methods to try to go, what's the time really here? Okay. I see what you're saying. That- so it's like, it's like triangulating a position, except you're triangulating time. So it's, it's saying, how long does it take to get information from this box to this one? Now tell me what the time is on this box so I know what the delay is. But I'm also going to use, I'm not going to trust just one, but I'm going to do a statistical analysis of multiple and then take like, probably a variant of the average. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, and that variant will be based on, you know, well, first of all, like that latency, that variable latency, well, it could increase or decrease, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could be trying to get the network time from this router while I'm wrapping it in foil. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden the latency went through the roof. So because Will it. would do that. Right. While I was trying to do something with that router. I actually probably would. <laughs> just to, just just to mess a precaution. with you. Yeah. Oh, it's not to mess with you. It's a precaution. Uh, <laughs> you, you use words for concepts that match the concept. Well, I mean, you don't wear a foil hat. You just have a foil-wrapped router. Right. <laughs> it's really easier that way. That way you don't have to worry about, you know, like, laundering it and all that. It's just easier. So the idea here is to synchronize all the participating computers to within a few milliseconds of the UTC. Right. So what is the UTC or the Coordinated Universal Time? Well, that's a agreed-upon time, which... Um, if anybody actually knows how all this stuff works, that's a shared delusion. <laughs> you know, mass delusions. We, but we, all but we need we do need to share certain delusions for everything to work. So it's it's fine. The idea is that it's an agreed upon universal time that's within about one second of solar time at zero degrees longitude. How they calculate solar time is like that's a whole another barrel of wax that we're not going to get into because if we did this would be eight episodes off of this yeah not that was done. your exact words was we could have eight episodes and i'm like yeah i don't think we could hold everyone's attention long yeah, enough like i that. read i read this huge discussion about an argument that happened when they were trying to figure out how to calculate solar time correctly and no. it's like this big like you know mid 1800s yeah. Just, you know, grouchy old man <laughs> back and forth. Like, we're, you're sitting here going, I just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad these people cared because yeah. I don't. So, uh, you know, like, there was a limit there where, like, after an hour, I'm like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I have thought about it since then. And what we could do, and this may be years down the line, but we're, we're talking about having themes for the year. Like this year's theme has been set goal setting yeah. and, and achieving those goals. Well, we could have a theme for the year on time where we have those eight episodes broken out over the course of a year. 
Yeah, that's right. If you if you dilute the poison enough, it's not poison anymore. Exactly. <laughs> and then people enjoy it. Yeah. It's enjoyable poison. Yeah. Like the band. <laughs> Y'all can't see our faces. <laughs> We're both making the same one. <laughs> I worry about some of the some of the things that come out of you, man. Okay, so back to the whole universal time. Um, it does not observe daylight savings time, and there's a lot of reasons for this. One of them is is it's bad enough already. Daylight savings time is horrible, evil. Yeah. It should not exist anymore. I get I get the purpose of it back when it was created. Yeah, but we don't need that anymore. I know it's been what two weeks. Yeah, two or three weeks, and it's still I'm not recovered from it. So they didn't. You, you don't want that kind of thing skewing stuff because it's also not universally adopted. Mm-hmm. And so they're just like, yeah, we want a universal time that doesn't shift around with this kind of stuff. And, you know, let's go on with life. It's roughly equivalent to Greenwich Mean Time or GMT. This is why you'll, you know, you'll hear offsets from GMT. But GMT is not precisely defined anymore. So, yeah, <laughs> that's another th- that was another rabbit trail that I went down. I was like, <laughs> why is it not defined anymore? Okay. What about the International Telecommunications Union? Yeah, that's the group that currently defines coordinated universal time. This is the standard used in aviation weather forecasts and is used on the International Space Station. Yeah, because it turns out that when you're in orbit, you can't look at days quite the same anymore. Sleep cycles? Well, it's, you know, it screws up your sleep cycle. Um, you know, there, there's light at different points. There's light for longer. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's light for longer depending on where you live on the planet. Yeah, and, and there's just a lot of stuff that happens that's not not quite as helpful. You know, in other words, it can't be chained to terrestrial solar time in the sense that we understand it down here walking around. So, have you seen the the XKCD comic about uh, the time guy? zones? Yeah, well, like yes. which which one about time zones? There's a bunch of them. Yeah, and that ought, that ought to, that should have clued <laughs> me in on this when I was writing this outline. This, this outline was very tough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so, it took like it took like six hours to write this one. No. So time zones are specified as positive or negative offsets, which theoretically go from negative 12 UTC to positive 12 UTC. Except when they don't. Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't always work that way because sometimes you have variants. Sometimes you have countries that don't want to be in the same time zone, so they're offset by 30 minutes. And in certain areas of the world, you have multiple countries that all hate each other, so they're offset by 15 minutes each. Yeah. (laughs) Trust me, I've had to deal with this. Yes. Um, (laughs) And then you have the other thing that happens, too, is like, what is a time zone line? Well, it's an arbitrary line running over the Earth's surface. Mm -hmm. You know what else is on those arbitrary lines? People. Yep. Right. Like, so you have, you know, and, and like the day line is, you know, that's out in the Pacific. It's not hitting a whole lot of stuff, but it does hit, hit a few places. Right. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of the family guy episode where Brian was dating the ditzy girl and she goes, it's on at 10 Eastern and specific time. He's oh, like, that's good. I think you mean Pacific. And she's like, no, it means it's on specifically at 10. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Yeah, so you had, um, you know, like, for instance, there, there's an island nation called Kiribati, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, but they have a number of volcanic atolls in, you know, in their island chain, and some of them were in one time zone and some were in the other. Now, this is a small country. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's it's so tiny that you don't know how to pronounce its name, right? Like there's just there's not a there's not a huge population there. Um, and they moved some of their atolls into UTC plus fourteen from UTC minus ten, so that the whole country would be on the same day. So they must have been right on the international dateline, right? So we could go find that country pretty easy. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I yeah, we could. I I thought they designed it so that the international dateline would not cross any con or any like land masses. Well, they tried to, right? They chucked it out in the Pacific. Yeah, but there's still stuff out there. That's and true. the other thing is, there's ships going back and forth across. It's like, oh yeah, you know, you got to have some measure of time that doesn't doesn't get nailed when you move over distance. Oh yeah, and we we live close to a time zone line. Yeah, and so what's down what's, near Chattanooga? Yeah, what's really interesting, or up near Knoxville. So, yeah. but uh, yeah. what's really interesting is if you're flying from one place to the other. You can actually arrive before you left. Yeah. Well, you can't now because we have the TSA, but you could. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk a little bit about how UTC time actually works. Now, as you were taught in school, days are divided into days, hours, minutes, and seconds. Seconds are divided into milliseconds, yada, yada. Every day has 24 hours and every hour has 60 minutes. Here's the part that they didn't tell you in school. Minutes are a variable length. Very slightly variable length. I thought a minute was 60 seconds. Yeah. Well, most of them are, right? But, hang on, this is over like the population of minutes Mm -hmm. over time. There's occasionally one that's 61 or 59 seconds due to leap seconds. I've heard of leap years. What's a leap second? That, okay. Oh, Lord. Um, there's a few things that are going on here. Uh, the first is, is because the mean or average solar day is slightly more than 86,400 seconds, but it's less than 86,401 seconds. Okay. So there, there's that. So they have to do little adjustments for that. Okay, cool. Yeah, but I think they could have found something that the, the mean solar day was divisible by. Yeah, well, this was as close as they got, right? Like the you know the whole the whole thing, like with the day being this number of hours and all that, was to make it easy to do calculation before you had calculators. That's why the whole Roman thing with fascination with you know divisible by sixty that was that made it easier because it, it's easier to divide and stuff. Well, like I, would, I would think it's it's circular because when <laughs> yeah. you say when you say minutes and sixty, I I think you know there's sixty minutes in a degree and right, but that's why they had that system of yeah. three hundred sixty degrees. Yeah. Like they did it that way to to make it easier, and it, it, the the thing is, they're thinking circularly, where right. it's more of an elliptoid. <laughs> well, yeah, because well, the Earth is not a perfect sphere either. Yeah, it's, the, it's the Earth isn't spheroid. a perfect sphere. It it wobbles, and its rotation around the sun is not perfect. Right, <laughs> it's it's elliptical, and it spins in a in sort of a, a wobbly elliptoid manner. So right, and so the kind of people who can sit there and tell you about all this stuff. Um, they work at the International Rotation and Reference Systems Service. And these people announce leap seconds at least six months in advance, but the need for a leap second cannot be predicted over longer time spans because the Earth's rate of rotation is unpredictable. Um, and here's here's a reason why. You remember that Sumatran earthquake in 2004 that like everybody remembers right after Christmas? The one that caused a tsunami? Yeah, I remember that. that. Slow, okay, so that... When you say Sumatran, I, I think coffee, though. <laughs> yeah. So that sped up the Earth's rotation by 
2.68 microseconds, which doesn't sound like a big deal until you realize that, hey, this is a skew that's going to be there from now on, at least until something else happens. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's, I don't you know, and it's the other thing, it's like, okay, if that sped it up, what slows it down? Like, can another earthquake slow it down, or does it take, like, an asteroid strike going the other direction? Like, I don't know. Uh, well, can, but, can earthquakes, like, cause it to speed up and another earthquake somewhere else cause it to slow down? Or? Yeah, I think it, it, okay, so basically what's going on here is it's a phenomenon that's related to angular momentum. And this is not a JavaScript library. This is actually a thing from physics. I, I, I know what angular <laughs> okay. momentum is, but when you when you said that, my first thought was that would make a great library yeah. for an angular framework. And you make every <laughs> physicist on the planet mad at you when they do a Google search. It's fantastic. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're not going to get into the actual physics here because that's Aww. going to be doubly hard to do in audio, and I'm not sure I can. Um, All right. Especially at that level. So it's essentially, hey, the Earth has changed its shape very slightly, mm -hmm. and so that changes the way that it turns very okay, slightly. Okay, yeah, yeah. Now, another thing that happens is tidal friction, and this is due to the interaction of basically gravity between the Earth and the Sun. That continually slows the rotation of the Earth, and so on average, it would lengthen the day by about 2.3 milliseconds per century on its own, so, except for all the other stuff that speeds it up or slows it down. I was say, so, so that's slowly slowing the spinning of the earth down. Right. But every now and then we have earthquakes and other things that speed it back up. Right. And so like, if you look at like paleontological records, if you look at the Ordovician period, for instance, you know, when life was starting to come out of the seas, the day was like 20 hours long, Huh. but it's, it's slowed down that much. So this is not a constant, but we have to treat it like it is because if we didn't, it would be, hard to deal with well it's it's such a minor variation yeah that you might as well treat it like a constant right <laughs> except if you have to have really tightly timed things well and, and if you have to have that tightly timed things then, then you're going to know about these variations right and you're gonna you're gonna pay your dues for the uh international rotation reference system service right i mean you know on Unless you're trying to write something in a system that uses, like, banker's rounding. Yeah. Because that's <laughs> There we go again. <laughs> BJ's white whale. <laughs> this is banker's rounding. Speaking of white whales, I finally have my concert white whale. I got tickets to the Garth concert. Nice. So, what this comes down to is that with UTC time, seconds and time spans of shorter Duration are a fixed length, but everything above that, everything composed of that, is a variable length. Okay. So, I mean, they had to they had to fixate it somewhere. Right. Okay, that makes sense. And, you know, you would rather do that over a shorter span and go, okay, you know, we can make adjusting entries, but we can't, you know, be doing that, you know, on really, really short intervals. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It, it's, it's, sort of like, it's sort of like balancing the books at the end of the month instead of balancing them continually. Which if could you're, be if annoying. You're, yeah, if you're, especially if you're doing it on pen and paper. Ooh, yeah. Right? You don't, you don't want to be balancing your books while you're trying to do transactions as, as you're going along by hand. And so this is what the system was based on, is that kind of yeah. thought process. But now we have Excel that balances them for you. Right. The QuickBooks. <laughs> now, leap seconds occur on average once every 19 months. On, on average. average. <laughs> and we'll just leave that there. 
<laughs> because I wasn't even looking at the outline. That's just yeah. the shared brain cell that we have. Yeah. So let's talk about why UTC is painful in computing. If you haven't picked up on some of these things yet, we would prefer for minutes, hours, days, etc., to be of a uniform length because that simplifies calculations. But that's not the way the world works. In other words, we want a mental model that is the same and the reality is not the same. But we can treat it the same in most cases. Yeah, within reason. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah. most most things that you're going to use for it, I mean, most, well, most of, things, of the time you're going to use a library. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking like most things that you're going to use it for are going to be like, all right, date stamps or, you know, timing on things that like, all right, I, you know, when can you, when do you time out of this or things like that? Yeah. Well, and a time span is different from the time, you know, the, a time stamp. Right. Right. Like, you know, because the time span, it's like you have that system clock that's accurately pulsing. Mm-hmm. versus, oh, yeah, we have, we adjusted by one second right in the middle of this thing. Yeah, your process is kicking off a second early. Maybe it's okay. Maybe it's going to set the building on fire. We don't know. No. Like, you don't want that. And that's why you want to use a library for this kind of thing. No, like, there are some areas, photography, some types of medical photography, using, you know, things that if overexposed to could cause serious harm. Well, like the like, Therac 25. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. And so, like, this stuff can be dangerous. That's why we recommend libraries. Even if you had a data structures class and you had to make a date time type, which you probably had to do, that's great. Don't use that in production. (laughs) Yeah. Just like the rest of the stuff you did in that class. Because it's a, it's, you know, it's algorithmic. It's to show you how it works, not, hey, here's how you really would implement this. Mm -hmm. So unpredictable leak seconds can play havoc with systems that don't readily accept updates. For instance, software running in orbit isn't something you update willy nilly you kind of have to be a little bit more careful updating it because it's not like you can just run up there with a thumb drive. If you screwed up. Um, the other thing is, is there's, if you're running up to the international space station, you're Hermes or the flash. I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. the flash, yeah. but you know, <laughs> one of these guys, Superman, yeah. I yeah. Mean, you know, <laughs> so anyway, the other thing is, is there's systems that people just don't update. And I'll give you an example. When was the last time, that your mother-in-law or ex-mother-in-law updated the software or the firmware on her GPS in her car. About every year. Really? Yep. Okay, you had a weird mother-in-law. My mother-in-law used her phone for GPS. Ah. (laughs) I got you on that one. Yeah. But you see what I'm saying, right? There's software sitting out there in all these devices that is time-dependent. I I will say this. My my ex-wife updated her GPS about every six months. Yeah. Because she was paranoid. Yeah. But this this stuff can kind of cause problems because you, right. you might be deploying a system going, well, it's not going to ever have to have updates. So and it's got to be security con, you know, conscious. So I'm going to air gap it from the world. Well, guess what? Those leap seconds, you can't predict them. They have to come in from outside. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. Like there is a security hole or you don't have accurate time. No, you may not need accurate time. There's there's a right. case for not needing accurate time. But. You get enough of those added up and, you know, 60 of them, it's a whole minute off. Yeah. So another thing, you know, there's, if you go to Wikipedia, there's a lot of examples of software having issues with leap seconds. Um, There's actually a short list on Wikipedia and it is a short list compared to what's actually happened. Yeah. So there's a lot of issues with leap seconds because programmers 
assume that minutes and longer spans of time are of constant length, because most of the time that's true, especially in your test environment. Right. And it waits until you get into production, and then you get nailed at some random interval not determined by you. Now, to, to throw another wrinkle in this, we have some interesting implementation things that, that are going on. Yeah, not everybody handles leap seconds by inserting an extra second. Right. Uh, Google uses a leap smear, <laughs> which, yeah, I, I love this terminology. They basically slightly lengthen seconds over a time window prior to the occurrence of a leap second. So the seconds are not a uniform length. Going oh, up to it. Okay, so they, they lengthen out the seconds up until the leap second is supposed to hit. Right. Do they, and then do they, there do they, do they then shorten them slowly afterwards? Nope. So it's like, oh, so it's like slowly lengthen them up to that to match that and then boom. At least that's right what back. it looks, looked like from the stuff I read. Now, some, there's probably somebody in our audience that's going to be like, no, we, we do. You know, I work at Google and I happen to listen to your podcast. And I think you're awesome, but you're wrong about this. Um, if and, you work at Google. Yeah. Tell us where we're wrong. Please, and, you know, we'll send you a water bottle because, you know, that's cool. Just like people that work at Microsoft, you know. Yeah. So, Amazon has also announced that they're going to do something similar, but not the same. Of course, they're not going to do the same as Google. Right. So, there's that. Um, <laughs> well, maybe maybe Amazon will do it the logical way that I'm thinking of. And, you know, it's only logical because I'm thinking this way. Right. But where you slowly increment up until you hit the leap second, and then you slowly increment down so that it's over, like, it, it spreads it out a little bit more and you don't ever get, like, a super long second. Right. Because, I mean, that's the thing that can do damage, right? If it's very slightly off, it's within a tolerance, like on machinery. Yeah. Whereas if you if you smear it, like, there's a reason they do this. Right. But when you think, okay, hey, there's a leap second here, or we do a leap smear... And depending on where we're getting our time from, we got to figure out which of those it is. See, I'm just like, the word smear has other meanings in other areas of science. Oh, I, was, I, I just I always think about like roadkill <laughs> when I hear that term or worse. You can tell where I grew up. But anyway, uh, well, now the, the current implementation tends to lead to a proliferation of timescales and computers either because they need to use something other than UTC or because they used UTC and didn't quite use it in the same way or because they're not up to date or because they are and machines around them aren't. Yeah. It, it's a words, lot of ores. Yeah. It gets messy really quick. Like if you think of all those ores as binary conditions and one of them being true means that stuff is broken, then you have the Wikipedia shortlist about why leap seconds are rough. That's more ores than a canoe shop. Oh, very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so. I'm hearing applause in my head. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, that's really not what I thought you heard in your head. I would have thought, you know, the wheels on the bus go round and round just in a loop. <laughs> but, but that's good, too. Whatever, whatever floats your boat, water usually works. But, you know, hey. So back to the whole NTP thing, the network time protocol. Obviously, you don't want to be trying to update your system time to match UTC time all the time. Pardon the pun even though you need to for many things to work well. Well, right. If you're constantly updating, it's going to take a lot of... It's going to take a lot of time to update your time. Well, I, I was actually going to say... It was and gonna then you're not going to have time to do the things that you're trying to... I was going to say a lot of processes, but, you know, that's taking up time. So. Yeah. Like, it's, it's going to be singularly awful. Yeah. So how often should you do that? 
I have no idea. <laughs> you know, like I read all this stuff and I got to say, you know what? I'm offloading this. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm going to take whatever, whatever the OS says. Yeah. I'm cool with that, bro. That's fine. I'm not messing with this. You really need to just take that approach. Most systems use network time protocol to offload that work so that it's somebody else's problem. Because eventually there's somebody, there's always a bigger nerd. Nerds are like integers, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's a nerd that cares over here. That's really got this down and is smarter than you. Put that on them. Now, the problem is, is that if you do this over the internet, you will not be precise to less than 10 milliseconds. Okay. Because network latency. Yeah, I mean, there, there's got to be some degree of inaccuracy in there. Right, just because of transmission delay, because of processing delay on the box, because of, hey, the room's cold and something's not conducting as well as it should. Right. I mean, and you, you also have material science in here at this level. Yeah. And the only time really 10 milliseconds counts is when you're running unit tests anyways. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. Somewhat. And bad network congestion can make time readings in- inaccurate by 100 milliseconds or worse. Ooh, that's a lot. Yeah. that's That starts to really hurt. Um, you remember like all the manufacturing stuff? Like if you have a powder mixer. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's like powder coating, you know, a, a washing machine. 10 milliseconds, that's a lot of that stuff coming down, and that stuff isn't cheap. Mm-hmm. Like, that's money gone. That's also potentially defective product because you put too much coating on it. Right. Um, depending on what part it is. I know a guy that worked on these kind of systems, so that, like, it's a big deal. Like, he fought with time management on there a lot more than he thought he was going to. That makes perfect sense because you have to get the timing just right on these machines. I, I I watched a lot of PBS as a kid and, you know, they showed a lot of factories and stuff and and some of the shows and like how things worked. And it always amazed me how well and how accurate they were. And and one of the first things that got me interested in programming when I was younger was thinking somebody had to create that. Somebody wrote that to make it do that at that exact time. And like, how does it know how to inject uh, the plastic into the mold? Right. And how does it not put too much? Right. And that just, that always fascinated me as a little kid watching these, these shows. And that was my first concept of somebody had to program that to do it that way. Yep. And that's what first got me thinking, Hey, I would like to do stuff like this. And then I got to, course i got to high school and everybody wanted to do graphics and game programming and i'm like yeah i wanted to do business programming yeah i was i was so much more interested yeah. in in that stuff and the lower level stuff like it, it like the the graphics and game stuff was that was cool i'm like eh, I'm not but everybody's interested. doing that i can yeah. do this other stuff all day make enough money and i just buy the game right <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna buy a powder coating machine and put it in my house so i can't play with that at home if I make the video game, but if I work with a powder machine, yes. <laughs> then I can make the money and I can buy the video game and I can play the video game and I go home. So this I is, have this is the way worlds. this is the way I thought. In high That's school. exactly the way I thought. It's <laughs> and this probably really like shows just how much we're complete nerds. But mm-hmm. now we're we're about to show how we're not very good nerds here in a minute because <laughs> we're going to talk about the implementation of network time protocol and how all that fits together. So effectively what you're doing is you're exchanging timestamps and this goes over port 123 using UDP. 
which is another pro- uh, which is another protocol. It's I'm not going to say it's similar to TCP/IP, but it's kind of the same universal data protocol. Right, datagram. Datagram. Okay. Yeah, but effectively, like if if you and I are having a TCP/IP handshake, you know, I'm like, hey, here's, you know, I'd like to give you a packet. You're like, I'd like to receive a packet, and you confirm. You know, there's like this whole back and forth. Whereas UDP is like, yeah, here's a packet. I don't know if you got it. Don't care. So NTP can be broadcast or multicast. Um, and this is with clients listening passively after initially connecting. So you set your time server essentially and you, you're connected to it passively and it dispatches messages out. And there's, there's a lot of networking stuff under the hood that we're not going to get into right now, just simply because of, you know, in the interest of time, pardon the pun. So another thing that will happen is that NTP will supply warnings of leap second adjustments before you actually have to implement them. And that's because of latency, because otherwise it'd be like, oh, yeah, leap second happens at this time. And, oh, that time's already passed. Like, you need to know in advance that it's coming. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, because otherwise, like, it could have already passed and, you know, you get all kinds of funky things that can happen there. NTP does not include information about time zones or daylight savings time. Your system is expected to convert from the incoming time to local time where that's required and to not convert where it isn't required. Because, again, the whole local time thing, that's a projection off the real time. Right. That's it's effectively it's, a way to look at it. It's like they, they've got, and once I understood this, learning about time zones, it, like, understanding them made so much more sense to me. Because there is one time, and each zone is just a variant of that time. Right. So, NTP uses a hierarchical, semi-layered system of time sources. And this is according to Wikipedia. So each level in this is called a stratum, and it's assigned a number to indicate its distance from the top. In other words, its level of authoritativeness Okay, is probably the best way to put this. Now, authoritativeness does not necessarily correspond direct- directly to accuracy. Okay, yeah. It's just how... Yeah, so it's not an org chart. <laughs> or it's an org chart at a dysfunctional company. Yeah, that's more like it. <laughs> that's, that's probably a better way to think about that. Um, stratum level is often treated like it's an indication of accuracy, but that can backfire. <laughs> it's more of a amount of precision, yeah, than accuracy, well, and it's it's how much you've lost a transmission delay, right? Okay, you know, you know, effectively with other considerations, because the other thing that happens too is like as you get further out, you're going to be averaging stuff, so and so you get statistical drift and that kind of thing. Like all things programming, we start off counting at zero. Right. Stratum Zero are the high-precision timekeeping devices. Yeah. And these are typically cesium or rubidium clocks, so it uses radioactivity. And these are known as reference clocks. Now, do we know why we can't have these in our house to have accurate time? Radioactive? Yeah. <laughs> because this is not the 1950s. We figured out that this doesn't go real well. Now, Stratum 1 clocks are the next level, and that's the clocks that are synchronized to within microseconds of stratum zero systems. And they're typically directly attached. Like you have the clock, you know, it's keeping the time and then that's actually hooking to a computer and that's your strat, your stratum one. So like but the clock is stratum one or the, the clock is stratum zero, but the box that it's hooked to is stratum one. Cause the okay. clock is probably not on the open internet. Okay. I see. If somebody, if somebody manages to tamper with that. Yeah. Because then they could get irradiated through the internet. Right. Because that's how radiation works. <laughs> it's like magnets. <laughs> Don't believe us. Yeah, no. Uh, 
so these stratum one devices will peer with other stratum one devices to sanity check. So in other words, you know, there's the, the stratum zero devices and then there's a, that are connected to stratum ones and the stratum ones are connected to each other so they can sanity check the time. These are your primary time servers. Now your stratum two systems are synchronized over network with stratum one devices and peer with other stratum two devices again for sanity checks or sanity checks all the way down. It's like turtles. And it can sanity turtles. Yeah, it's you know it's sanity checks all the way down, which is really like a great way to describe computing. Can we can we call them the insanity turtles? Insanity. Yeah, great band name. Would be a great band name. So this continues on down the chain the same way. So now let's talk a little bit more about uh, network time protocol timestamps and what goes on there, because this is the data that your system is going to be receiving. An NTP timestamp is sixty-four bits total. Uh, 32 bits for seconds and 32 bits for fractions of a second. This means that it rolls over every two raised to the 32 seconds. So is this like a fixed point? Um, so like every 136 years, it rolls over. Yeah. So, you know, which is which is fine because nobody's, you know, like unless you're at the boundary, but like you can live your entire life between those two. Yeah, pretty much. So it has a theoretical resolution of two raised to the 32 seconds. For the first part. The second part, which is also 32 bits, can encode, theoretically again, up to 2 raised to the minus 32 seconds, or 233 picoseconds. Which What's is, a picosecond? Well, it's it's a second that you put on tacos. <laughs> no, um, it's actually a trillionth of a second. A trillionth? Right. That's rather small. Yeah. So, like, I mean, if you need more accuracy than that, you're probably not connected to a network to get your time measurement. You're no. probably the clock. You're 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 connected to you know cesium or yeah. rubidium. Yeah. Um, so so it's good enough to encode 136 years worth of time. This level of resolution was built for future proofing. It will eventually not be future proof because there will be a rollover and you know funky things are going to happen when that happens. It's like the Y two K problem. Y two sixty four bit. Yeah, it's Y2, Y2 picosecond. Why so serious? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll all be dead before this becomes a problem. Will we? I think. Um, we will will our prob- listeners. Well, yeah. I mean, there's probably some children that may be still around when that, when that happens, but we'll at least be very, very old. You and I will have retired by this time. Yeah, so. Of course. Then again, we're, we're right on the edge of, you know, Having our consciousnesses downloaded, right? You know, I mean, we're we're like they they seriously say that they will have this. I'm just yeah. visualizing. Okay, like that whole upload your brain into it. Just like as an aside, this whole upload your brain into a device thing. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about that. Like, if if you realized how my brain works, like somebody's gonna be slapping that box all the time. <laughs> It's going to be like an it. old TV in a hotel. You know? It's like, bam! You know, it's just not... That's, like, that seems horrible. I don't think... I just don't think that the, you know, the whole uh, singularity folks have really thought this whole thing through, mm-hmm. but whatever. Now, they're eventually going to adjust network time protocol to be... to have a timestamp of 128 bits, at which point the fractional second portion will have a theoretical time resolution of less than the time required for a photon to pass an electron, with the second portion providing enough room for unambiguous time representation until the heat death of the universe. Yeah, I mean, that's... 
So 128 bits is enough for everyone. Hopefully. I mean, unless you plan on surviving the heat death of the universe. Right. Um, which you got to figure out some kind of fuel source because they're all gone. Like nuclear be gone. So you're probably good on that. Yeah. Yeah. Your system will not be running then. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so how does NTP put it all together? Well, you know, as we discussed before, they'll collect network times from three or more servers on different networks or different segments of this, you know, the same network. So if it's going outbound on your, on your connection to Comcast, you want to hit multiple different servers. And essentially a time offset is calculated based on timestamps from these servers and the calculated round trip delay. So it'll, you know, it basically pings and gets a, gets the round trip delay and then gets the timestamps. Mm-hmm. Then it does a statistical analysis and discards outliers. So if you know if you're like stand, three standard deviations off compared to the rest of the set, like chuck that stuff. You don't you don't need that. Now I don't know what happens when they get two clusters. I don't know how they solve that one because the middle may not be. It's probably not correct. Yeah. So, but there's somebody smarter than me that that can get into all the stats and go, okay, we do k-means clustering and we do this other thing. And that would be a lot of fun to have someone on to talk about statistics with us. Yeah, it really would. But if you're if you're doing that right, like you got you know if you if you have the two clusters, probably what's going to happen is it's going to pick one of them, mm-hmm. and then eventually the problem gets resolved and it adjusts. Right. So it's it's off for a little bit, but it's okay because it eventually gets back in sync. Um, you when you build time based systems, you kind of have to think about that sort of thing. It's not okay. This thing's always going to be right. It's it's always eventually going to be right, mm-hmm. or on average, it's going to be right. The clock frequency on the system is then adjusted. That's the next step after you figure out the time so that you can get your time moved to the correct time. So it doesn't just reset something. Okay. So it doesn't just say. It's like the leap smear thing. Yeah. It, it doesn't. It's not like daylight savings time where you just go change the hour. You know, it doesn't come in and just change it to the right time. It resets the length of a second or whatever to be the right time in case it's gotten off. Right. And it'll do it'll do that. Over time, so that it doesn't break all kinds of stuff when that happens. You can imagine what would happen to your system if that was going on. Right, right. I mean, like, that would that would really mess things think up. Think about your like- session cookies in your browser. Right. Like, yeah. all of a sudden, you're logged off from all these websites because your system time was off by 20 minutes. You know, that, okay. That kind of stuff. You know, that- so, it creates a smear on a, an individual smear on your system to slowly bring you back onto right. that. Oh, that's... That's yeah. smart. Well, especially with, you know, and I don't know on desktop That's like computers. really great future future proofing. Yeah, I don't know how it does design it that. On the on the desktop machines, like your OS I think probably has some input here mm-hmm. and says yeah, the times, yeah, fix that. Yeah. But it, you know, it has some time events and those kind of things so the programs can hook in and go, "Okay, I really really require accurate system time. So if you're going to screw around with something, tell me." Yeah. But, but still that's that's that is very good future proofing considering Hooking How? up heavy machinery to it. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, yeah, this this arm that's articulating and carrying this big ball of molten metal mm-hmm. around, and it knows it has to move for this amount of time, and you just change the system clock, and it stops suddenly and then dumps that on somebody's head, but they really shouldn't be standing under a thing of molten metal, but they might be. Yeah. Because there's always that one guy. <laughs> And then there's not. Um, well, the thing is, it, it could it could still dump it before it gets to the place where it's supposed to dump and cause a spill, and that could shut down the entire factory for months, or cause a metal fire and shut it down forever. Yeah, because you can't put those out. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that you you know, there's second and third order effects that you just can't predict, so you don't 
break things. <laughs> you also note that this is vulnerable to round-trip delay between different servers as well as network topology. Yes. So if incoming and outgoing have widely different latency. So you'll have um, some some internet connections. And, I mean, you know, if you have cable, you actually have this, too, where you can download at a much higher rate than you can upload. Oh, Comcast by Comcast. Yeah. And so they have to take this into account. Yeah. Because they can't just go, oh, well, you know, the time required for me to send a packet to them and get it back divided by two is the amount of time that it takes for them to send a packet to me. Right, right, yeah. Right, like those are not equivalent mm-hmm. pretty much ever. So how do you deal with it? Yeah, and this is why we, we push this, is you need to let the operating system handle this. Now, if you're an operating system programmer, yeah, you're just screwed. No. <laughs> like if you're an operating system programmer, there's a lot of, you know, you're going to have a lot of libraries. You're going to have a lot of stuff. Honestly, you're if, you're a, if you're an operating system programmer, one... This podcast really isn't designed for yeah. you because we, we don't do that. So we don't really talk about that kind of stuff. However, we're fascinated by it. So uh, hit us up. We'll probably bring you on the show and maybe even send you a water bottle. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and the big deal is, is this is really difficult and complicated code that has to be right. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, it is not tolerant of failure. It's also very challenging to get right. You don't have predictive capability about when those leap seconds are coming in. You know, at least six months in advance, right? It's announced at least six months in advance. You don't necessarily know six months in advance. For instance, if that network cable got pulled out of the wall. Okay, yeah. Like, or, you know, they've got a malfunctioning server. There's all kinds of things, and you have to handle all that stuff and not break the system time and jar it, essentially. And so this is really, really difficult. You pretty much have to use built-in libraries. Like, this is stuff that, that people spend their entire careers on, mm-hmm. is getting this stuff right, and only this stuff. Right, yeah. And you need to understand, you know, at, at the core of it, you need to understand the difference between being able to represent a date or time and being able to make calculations on the date and the time, because those are very different. don't want to try to roll out your own. Right. So... Guys, time and date management are complicated and nasty on computers because they're complicated and nasty in real life. While we often think of being able to tell time as something simple, historically, it hasn't been. We're continually having to work to keep our timekeeping devices accurate so that we can use their results for everything from manufacturing to navigation, encryption, even missile guidance. We could have easily made a four-part or even longer series on this because it's extremely complicated. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? I want to talk a little bit about um, something that that I've noticed as I've gotten older, and that is you have to be able to hold multiple viewpoints in your head at the same time that may be somewhat contradictory. And you have to do this in computing, too. And in computer science, you have a mix of you know real, pure math that doesn't assume any imprecision and dirty, real-world math that assumes imprecision and, and all the problems that come with it. And you have to be very careful about which one you're using and converting between them because the results can vary by quite a bit. BJ ran into this not all that long ago with the whole banker's rounding thing, which is why he brought that up. 
But he was actually lucky because he realized the problem before this got out in production and, you know, caused significant issues. Uh, a lot of people don't, and it's, it's very easy to do. But the thing is, is he was, his code was correct for abstract pure math, but it had a problem for computer math because of the messiness of inaccuracy and because of the way things are implemented. You have to be able to hold both of those mindsets in your head at the same time. Because otherwise, you know, you're, you're getting an explanation of something in pure math, but you have to think about the implementation details in the computer that are not that way. And this is very, very tricky. So that's just something to think about. And that's all I've got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Look for us each week on Facebook Live before we record each episode. Thanks for listening. See you next time.